Yeah, it's my pleasure to invite Lana Mine from the University of Bristol to give us a discussion about strategies for solving the Fermi Hubbard model on near-term quantum computers. I'm really excited to hear this talk today. Um, it was a really interesting paper about this a few months ago came out. And I'd like to, yeah, really interested to hear more about it. Okay, thanks. Take it from here, Lana. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm going to talk about how you would solve um, something like the Hubbard model on these NISC devices. Uh, so this is like joint work with my supervisor, Ashley Montanaro, and also Chris Cade and Stasia Spinachek. So, um, right, I'm going to start with just a brief introduction to NISC computing. Um, then I'm going to talk about the algorithm itself, the variational quantum eigen solver. Um, then I'll talk about the Hubbard model. Um, and then actually after that, we'll talk about um, how I applied VQE to the Hubbard model and uh, the numerical results we got. Uh, so NISC stands for noisy intermediate scale quantum. Uh, so this is characterized by a number of things, um, a limited number of qubits. So um, the most qubits we have at the moment um, is on Google Sycamore, which is 53 qubits. Um, so I would say NISC is about in that range. Um, uh, there's a limited gate depth, so there's a limited number of um, gates you can apply before your qubits just decohere and become too noisy. Uh, there's limited qubit connectivity, so you can't just apply um, arbitrary um, two-qubit gate between any two qubits. Um, everything's noisy, so there's noisy gates, there's readout error, um, and there's also no error correction. So you have to account for any errors yourself, either um, you know, in the algorithm being uh, robust to noise or just how you deal with noise afterwards. Uh, so the variational quantum eigensolver is one of these hybrid quantum classical algorithms, which is particularly suitable for the NISC era. Um, this is because basically uh, you're using the quantum computer to speed up one bit and um, you're trying to outsource as much of the work as possible to the classical computer. Uh, so the aim of this algorithm is to find the ground state of a given Hamiltonian. So the way it does this is we make a guess for the ground state in the form of an ANSAT circuit. So I'll talk more about what these circuits look like later. Um, we adjust parameters in this circuit by a classical optimization routine. And we just carry on until we've kind of reached a minimum value for the expectation. Um, so this kind of works on the variational principle that states like um, the expectation of any state um, is bigger than um, the ground energy. So there's a couple of ingredients we need to specify for our um, algorithm. The first is if you have a qubit Hamilton, uh, Fermion, uh, fermionic Hamiltonian, um, we need a, like a fermion to qubit encoding, and there's many we can choose, Jordan Wigner, Bravi Kitayev, Estrata Chirac. Um, the next thing is the, the ANSATS itself. Um, so you want to choose an ANSATS that parameterizes a region of the Hilbert space that contains the ground state you're looking for. Um, so this kind of step is really key because you need to pick the right family, the, the right depth, the right initial state, um, sometimes even like the right parameters. Um, next thing is how we actually implement the energy measurements. Um, and finally, um, 
the classical optimizer. Um, so this is a stochastic optimization problem um, because you won't get the exact um, expectation out of the quantum computer. So it's really important we pick an optimizer that's kind of robust to statistical noise. Um, and finally, yeah, um, so this bit's kind of at the end. We need to um, kind of, um, yeah, just uh, do some kind of error detection techniques at the end. Um, this isn't always necessary, but um, I'll discuss this later, actually. Okay, so the Hubbard model. So this is um, one of the simplest uh, models, uh, simplest um, models of interacting particles um, in a metal. Um, so you have a lattice, a lattice of sites, and on each site, it can be occupied by an up electron and a down electron. And uh, the interactions we have are this on-site interaction here, uh, which is kind of like a Coulomb potential, and a tunneling term. So um, electrons can hop from one site to an, um, a neighboring site. Um, so this um, model is interesting. Um, in, well, it's uh, like widely studied in uh, condensed matter physics. Um, because even though it's simple, it kind of allows us to investigate how the interactions between electrons change the properties of a metal. Um, so making it insulating, magnetic, superconducting, so on. Um, the largest exact classical simulation um, was for 22 sites, and it required over seven terabytes of memory on a 512 node supercomputer. Um, so this is where we think quantum computers could be useful, uh, because 22 sites would um, kind of map to 44 qubits, and you can kind of see that being um, within range in the next couple of years. Okay. Any questions so far? Okay, good. Um, so how do we actually go about applying VQ to the Hubbard model? So the first ingredient was the fermion to qubit mapping. Um, so we use the Jordan-Wigner transformation. Um, so these transformations all preserve like the fermionic anti-commutation relations. Um, the Jordan-Wigner, um, it basically keeps track of which sites are occupied by which electrons. So each site is represented by two qubits because you can have two different fermions on that, um, that site. Um, so one of the qubits keeps track of the up electrons and the other qubit keeps track of the down, keeps track of the down electrons. Um, so the state is zero if it's unoccupied and one if it's occupied by a fermion. We actually looked at um, a bunch of other encodings in our paper, but we found that actually Jordan-Wigner was most efficient in our case um, for small grid sizes. So that was where um, the minimum um, of the grid lengths was less than or equal to eight which is definitely um, within our range. Uh, so this is the actual Jordan-Wigner transformation, these two um, equations here. So the, the on-site terms become the projector onto the 1-1 one, one state. Um, and hopping terms are a bit more complicated. You get this like x, x plus y, y interaction between the qubits of interest here. Um, but you also get like a z-string. Um, between um, qubits j and k. And this is kind of like a parity correction. Um, so yeah, the, all these equations map uh, the fermionic grid to a line. So we need to pick an ordering for the fermions. Um, so the ordering we use is a snake ordering. Uh, I'll show this in the next slide. And we order all of the down electrons after the up electrons. Um, so this um, 
this one here shows the ordering. Um, so you can see it's kind of like a snake, which is why we call it the snake ordering. Um, this is actually a standard ordering um, when using the Jordan Winger transformation. Um, and for both spins, this is what it could look like on something like uh, the Google Sycamore architecture. Um, so we've like labeled, um, say, all the ups are blue and then all the downs are red. So the next ingredient was the ANSAT circuit. Uh, so like I said before, a good ANSAT circuit uh, will parameterize a region of the full Hilbert space that contains the ground state. Um, so often ANSAT circuits consist of a set circuit structure that repeats itself several times. And this repetition is referred to as the ANSAT set. This is different from the circuit depth. Um, so an example of like a standard generic ANSATS is something called the hardware efficient ANSATS. Um, it's, you basically do a bunch of arbitrary single qubit gates, follow it by entangling gate, then you do like a more um, single qubit gates followed by entangling and so on. Um, so this is probably one of like the most basic things you could come up with. Um, it doesn't really use any properties of Hamiltonian itself. It's just like, something generic that can be used um, for any Hamiltonian. Um, so we can do a bit better by kind of tailoring our ANSATs to the problem. Um, so one of these, one of the ANSATs we looked at was um, Hamiltonian variational ANSATs. So this um, was, um, yeah, so this is based on um, intuition from the quantum adiabatic theorem. Um, so this state, uh, so this, the theorem states that one can evolve from a ground state of a Hamiltonian HA to a ground state of HB by applying a sequence of evolutions of the form e to the minus IT HA e to the minus IT HB. So sufficiently small t. Um, so for the Hamiltonian variational ansatz, the ansatz that we start in the ground state of is the non-interacting Hubbard model. So if I just go back, um, if you look up here, the non-interacting thing is basically setting u t equals zero. So we only have hopping terms. So there's, there's no interactions between the spin. Um, so this kind of makes the Hamiltonian a quadratic one. Um, so you can prepare its ground state efficiently on the quantum computer. Um, then another change from this adiabatic theorem is that instead of applying evolutions um, you know, for the whole Hamiltonian, we alternate evolutions according to commuting terms in the Hamiltonian. Um, so in the Hamiltonian, there's like, uh, we kind of, you can split it up into five commuting terms. So you can split it into the on-site terms. So that's everything attached to the U. And then two sets of um, horizontal and two sets of vertical. So if I go back to this graph, um, so basically the different colors represent the different um, commuting sets. So purple and orange are your two sets of horizontal terms and blue and green are your two sets of vertical terms. So basically we, we kind of evolve in, um, yeah, in, in some order. So you do on site, then you might do horizontal, then you might do vertical and then the other horizontal and vertical. Um, Another crucial difference here is that these thetas don't need to be small, unlike these um, t's up here. 
they're just arbitrary angles between 0 and 2 pi that we kind of optimize using our classical optimizer. Um, so I guess it, the, the thought is that like you're not tracing an adiabatic path to the ground state of the Hamiltonian you're looking for, but you're going kind of via another route. So the number of parameters you end up with here is five times the, the depth of the ansatz we choose. And um, the idea with this ansatz depth is that the higher the depth, um, the more likely you kind of parameterize the region, you're, um, the parameterize the ground state you're looking for. Um, yeah. um, in our paper, we actually generalized the Hamiltonian variational ansatz. Um, and we came up with something called the number of preserving ansatz. So we replace all the hopping and on-site terms with a more general number preserving parameter. So this UMP here. Um, so this operator comes from combining like the on-site and the hopping gates. Um, so for one layer of the ansatz, we now um, apply UNP across each pair of qubits that um, correspond to fermions that interact. Um, so before we were kind of evolving according to these terms, now we just apply like um, arbitrary number preserving unit trees every, everywhere that we have um, a connection. Um, the nice thing with this ansatz is you can actually start in a computational basis state because um, it's a bit more general than the last one, uh, but you can also obviously start in the U equals zero ground state as well. Um, the number of parameters is now way bigger than before. If you remember, it was five times D. Um, but it's kind of like a, a trade-off. So um, you might need a lower um, like depth of number preserving um, compared to Hamiltonian variational to reach the ground state. Um, but this does make your problem a bit more complicated because you have a lot more uh, parameters to optimize. Um, so I'm just going to talk a bit about um, efficient ways of implementing these two ansatz. Um, so all the on-site terms. Um, okay, so before, if you remember, we had um, on-site and two sets of horizontal and vertical. Um, you can implement all the on-site terms in depth one. Uh, what gets a bit more complicated is the horizontal and vertical hopping terms. Um, so actually the horizontal terms can be implemented in depth too. Um, so if you recall that this is what the hopping terms look like, the horizontal hopping terms don't have this extra Z string. So horizontal hopping terms are basically just two qubit gates. So you can just apply your two qubit gates between um, like within the commuting sets and it's fine. So you can do all the purple ones first, and then you do all the orange ones. Um, what gets a bit more complicated is the vertical hopping terms. Um, so basically, for example, if we wanted to implement this one here between zero and seven, um, it's not just a two qubit gate, it's now an eight qubit gate, uh, because you need to apply your xx plus yy interaction here, and then you need to apply a z string along here. So these can be quite costly to implement, as you can imagine, um, decomposing it down. Um, so decomposing an eight qubit gate to a bunch of two qubit gates. Um, so to reduce this overhead, we implement something called a swap network. 
Um, so yeah, we use F swaps, so fermionic swap gates, to move qubits into positions where they're Jordan Wigner adjacent. So what this means is that, so if you look at this, um, the, so this one, uh, this is the snake ordering. What we want to do is we want to move our pairs of qubits to the ends. So this is where they can interact. Um, so if you remember the ordering, ordering it was 0, 1, 2, 3, 4. Um, these things are Jordan Wigner adjacent um, because their numberings um, are right next to each other. Um, so the way we do this is applying these gates, these ULs and URs. Um, yes, so um, if we apply UR, UL once, um, so we would swap these, these two columns and then we swap these two columns for, oh, sorry, uh, yeah, for UL, and then we swap these two columns. Basically, these qubits here will end up at the end and they get implemented first. Um, so what this um, picture just shows is like, um, yeah, so uh, what, which, um, which terms are implemented after, say, n times of applying URUL. Um, any questions? Um, okay. So this is what our full circuit looks like. So the squiggly green lines are our number preserving or our Hamiltonian variational gates. So these are all parameterized. And these arrows are F swaps. So we start, so, um, we start with our two sets of horizontal terms, like before. Um, and then to implement the vertical terms, we do this U R U L. So we do this swap network. Um, so uh, these the C and D need to be um, repeated, I think, three more times to have implemented every vertical term. Um, a further improvement you can actually do is like folding in these horizontal hopping terms into the network. So you can see like these um, A and C, like uh, we're applying kind of gates in the same, um, on the same two qubits. Um, so it turns out if you combine these two, it's basically, um, I think it's, a, it looks like one of these gates but up to like a single qubit unit tree. Um, yeah, okay. Any questions? Um, so this kind of, uh, this table just shows um, circuit depths um, of the efficient ansatzer. So we tried, uh, we kind of calculated these depths for three different architectures, so fully connected, nearest neighbor, and Google Sycamore. Um, and you can see what the numbers look like for a five by five grid. So this is just kind of beyond the realm of um, exact diagonalization, so solving it exactly classically. Um, so a five by five grid would require 50 qubits. Um, so if we look at Google Sycamore, the, the depth, uh, so this is the circuit depth for one layer of the ansatz would be 32. Um, this is already kind of bigger than I think what Google Sycamore can do. I think it's about 20. Um, so we're not quite there yet being able to solve like the bigger um, instances. Okay, uh, the third ingredient was the measurement. So at the end of each run of the circuit, we need to measure the energy. 
So again, we can actually split this um, into our five commuting sets as before. Um, so we can measure all of the on-site terms in parallel, and then we can measure the two horizontal and two vertical um, in parallel as well. Um, so if you recall, the on-site terms look like this, like projector onto one one. Um, these on-site terms can be measured simply by carrying out a computational basis measurement. Um, so the er energy corresponding to a particular site is the probability that the qubits corresponding to the up and down electron on that site are both measured to be one. So this is good news for us, it's quite simple. Um, the horizontal and the vertical hopping terms are a bit more complicated. Um, so again, if you remember, the hopping terms look like this. Um, if we first look at um, the horizontal terms, so that's um, not including these Z terms here, um, you can actually measure these XX plus YY um, things um, efficiently by transforming into a basis in which um, the operator is diagonal. And um, the operator that does this is this, so it's a C naught followed by a controlled hand mod followed by another C naught. And you end up with this. Um, so the expectation then is the probability of getting the outcome 0, 1 minus the probability of getting 1, 0. Um, vertical hopping terms are um, a bit more complicated because if you remember, it was like um, you have to consider um, the. So before um, it was like an eight cubic gate, but here you also have to consider um, like the values on these qubits. Like, um, yeah, I guess because it, it's an expectation according um, respect to like eight um, qubits, for example. Um, but actually, it turns out that this they can also also be measured in parallel in at most two circuit preparations. Um, so this operator U has the property that it preserves Z tensor Z. Um, so we can apply U um, to all of these places here, um, all of these vertical terms here. And what this means is that um, you can kind of collect statistics for um, this XX plus YY thing. And you can also collect statistics for um, measuring Z tensor Z. Um, so yeah, by applying U just to these things here, you can um, get this expectation, get that one, and get that one, and that one. Um, any questions? Okay. Um, right, okay. Um, so the final ingredient was the classical optimizer. Uh, so the VQE algorithm makes many calls to the quantum computer. Um, so some useful terms, um, so one circuit evaluation is one run of the quantum computer. Um, to get one measurement of the en energy, we need to do five circuit evaluations. Um, and then to get one estimate of the energy, um, we then need to do M energy measurements. Um, so this M, um, needs to be quite big if you want to um, get really accurate answers. Um, so we kind of determined a rough budget for um, the reasonable number, a reasonable number of calls. Uh, so making some assumptions um, so that um, 100 nanoseconds for, uh, to apply two qubit gate, single qubit gates and measurements are instantaneous and um, 
like an overall circuit depth of 100. Um, basically, in about 14 hours, you can produce 10 to the 5 energy estimates to an accuracy of 10 to the minus 2 if we take m to be 10 to the 4. Um, so this kind of gives us a um, kind of a, a bound to be aiming for when we run like our actual um, simulations. Um, another thing is that we need um, an optimizer that is robust to noise. Um, um, yeah, statistical just otherwise. Um, we kind of tested two um, optimizers, so I'll talk a bit more about this later. We use something called SPSA, which is kind of a, a form of stochastic gradient descent um, and coordinate descent as well. Um, so this is, um, yeah, I'll talk about this in a minute. Okay. Any questions before I move on to the numerical results? Um, so we ran a bunch of simulations and we did them with um, three levels of realism. So the first level is we simulated the exact energy measurements. So we kind of cheated and looked at the wave function. Um, this tests which ANSATs are, are most effective. So if you, you have a circuit which doesn't work well even with exact measurements, it's not going to work well when you've also added noise. Um, the next stage was to simulate the measurements as if they were performed on a quantum computer. Um, this kind of just um, tests how well the optimizers handle statistical noise. Um, and there are some optimizers which just won't work at all. Um, so this is a very important step here. And finally, we simulated energy measurements and um, quantum computer noise. Um, so we did this with a depolarizing noise model. Um, so this tests how well the optimizers cope with additional noise, and we also tested a very simple error detection procedure, um, which I'll talk about in a minute. So the exact measurements, um, so in an initial test you can do to, um, you know, see how powerful these ANSAT circuits are, is um, to determine the depth you need to go to to produce the ground state to 99% fidelity. Um, so along here I've got depth to 99% fidelity and here it's like uh, grid height. So um, the different um, colors are like um, the grid sizes. So we did one by n, two by n and three by n. Um, the different line styles are the ANSATs that we uh, tested. So we tested just um, normal Hamiltonian variational which was in the original paper. We tested our efficient Hamiltonian variational which is the um, one with swap networks, and we tested number-preserving ANSATs. Um, yeah, so just to draw your eyes to some interesting things, so the number-preserving ANSATs like uh, consistently performs better than the Hamiltonian variational and efficient Hamiltonian variational. Um, so it requires less less depth to get to 99% fidelity. Uh, but this is kind of a cost that you can't really see in this graph. It, it takes longer to run because you have more parameters. Um, uh, yes. Um, okay. Um, if we focus on the efficient Hamiltonian variational ANSAT, so for the rest of the results I'm going to show you, I, I focus on, we focus on that because um, it was uh, definitely the fastest to run. Um, so for the largest grid sizes considered, so we the largest grid size we went up to was um, something with um, 
grids of 12 sites and there's three different ones um, that we've done. We've done. Um, you can see the infidelity, like how it decreases with the ANSAT step. So it, this is a good sign. It, it shows that as we're adding the depth, we aren't, we aren't just, you know, it isn't futile. It is like um, improving our results, which is what we'd hope to see with the ANSAT. Okay. Uh, the next step is realistic measurements. Um, so again, we're fixing the Hamiltonian variational ANSATs. Um, these results are for a three by three grid. Um, we wanted to test SPSA um, and this coordinate descent. Um, yes, um, so uh, SPSA is kind of, um, yeah, so it's kind of like a form of stochastic gradient descent, but this coordinate descent, it's um, you're basically optimizing one parameter at a time. So you're, say if you um, want to optimize the first parameter, you kind of fix all the other ones and you kind of vary that to find the minimum. Um, yeah, so uh, to compare the two, we um, fixed the number of circuit evaluations we wanted to do. Um, so for coordinate descent at every step, we kind of need really accurate um, like um, estimates of the energy. So at each step, we're doing 10,000 measurements. This is kind of why this, um, line looks smoother than the other one because for SPSA we actually do a three-stage optimization routine. Um, so we modified normal SPSA um, to do this. Um, we do like a very coarse um, measurements. So we, we take a hundred measurements for each. Um, yeah, so we do a hundred um, measurements um, followed by um, course where we do like a thousand measurements to get the estimate and then finally smooth where we want to get really accurate value and um, we do like 10,000 um, measurements uh, for the estimate. Um, yeah so you can actually see like SPSA performs really well even with poor, um, poor quality um, energy estimates um, and SPSA has, has been around literature for a while it's like it's supposed to be really robust to statistical noise so um, I guess that's kind of what we'd expect to see. Um, yes. Um, this table just shows a few more um, grid sizes. Um, so again, you can see like, uh, so LBFGS is um, the exact optimizer. So this is without noise here. Um, SPSA consistently performs better than like corn descent. Um, in this uh, case. Um, okay. Uh, the next thing we did was uh, noisy VQE. Here we considered a simple depolarizing noise model on top of um, everything. Um, so after each two qubit gate, um, each qubit experiences noise with probability of P. Um, so this model does like Pali X, Y, Z occurring with equal probability. Um, we examined um, a couple of different noise rates, 10 to the minus 3, 10 to the minus 4, 10 to the minus 6. Um, so this graph here is for a 10 to the minus 3 error rate, and we did a 2 by 3 grid. Um, and again, we did SPSA and coordinate descent. Um, I'll just quickly talk about the error detection procedure, then come back to this graph, actually. 
Um, so we also tested something, uh, a really simple error detection procedure. Um, so the Hamiltonian is number preserving. And actually, um, every operation in the Hamiltonian variational and the number preserving ansatzer also preserve the number. They preserve the fermionic application number, um, which is also, I guess you could call it the Hamming weight. Um, so basically, when we detect an error by the Hamming weight being incorrect, we kind of discard that run and we um, continue the procedure until we have the required number of valid energy measurements. Um, so this plus ED is plus error detection. So with SPSA, it doesn't have like a massive, um, like a, a massive effect, but with coordinate descent, um, we do actually see an improvement by um, including this error detection procedure, even though it's like really simple. Um, another thing I should say is that it doesn't seem like the noise um, affects the fidelity too much. So. Um, this is a two by three grid. So if we go back here, um, kind of th these were the values we were getting, uh, so like 0 0.02. Um, it doesn't seem too far off. Um, so um, yeah, a 10 to the minus three error rate isn't having a massive um, effect on, on the um, results. Um, this won't necessarily hold for an actual quantum computer. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting to see. Okay. Any questions? Okay. Um, right, conclusions. Um, so for the exact measurements, um, results for efficient Hamiltonian variational consistent with a grid with n sites needing order n layers. And in fact, in all cases, we found that at most 1.5 n layers were needed. Um, so this is good. So if we have if we want to um, test bigger sizes, we can kind of immediately go um, to a, num a depth that we think will reproduce the ground state. Um, realistic measurements, SPSA and both quant descent were able to achieve relatively high fidelity with the ground state by making a number of measurements, which would take a couple of hours on a real quantum computer. And for noisy VQE, uh, with simulated depolarizing noise, error rates of up to 10 to the minus 3 did not have a significant effect on the fidelity of the solution. Um, yeah. So it seems plausible that an instance of the Hubbard model larger than the capacity of exact diagonalization, so anything maybe above like 24 sites or something, um, could be solved by optimizing over quantum circuits with depth 300 to 500. Um, some future work in this era, uh, in this area. Um, so noise and error mitigation techniques need to be investigated in more detail. Um, so in particular, we only looked at depolarizing noise, but um, something that's quite a problem on um, quantum computers is like readout error. So um, incorporating this in would uh, maybe give us a better idea of how it actually work on a quantum computer. Um, determining the optimal choice of classical optimizer remains an important challenge especially as we get a bigger grid size and the number of parameters goes up. Um, so I think there's been a lot of work um, in like uh, seeing if machine learning based optimizers would perform any better um, than the more standard ones. Um, what happens when we actually run it on an actual quantum computer? Um, so actually very recently, um, there's been a paper from Phase Craft, so from Ashley and Sarja, 
um, on this where we actually ran the Hamiltonian variational ansatz um, for a two by one grid on uh, Rigetti's architecture. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in how it actually um, work on a quantum computer, I would check this out. Um, and finally, we could maybe look to solid state physics uh, for inspiration for the ansatzer. Um, so taking account even more symmetries of the Hubbard model. Um, so things like translation invariance, spin invariance, things like that. Um, yeah, uh, so thanks for listening. Are there any questions? Clap, 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 clap. Um, it's a bit hard to do claps virtually over this, so I guess everyone's clapping at home right now. Um, so do we, does anyone have any further questions I'd like to, to ask? If so, unmute yourself and um, ask away. But um, in the meantime, I just wanted to um, go back a couple of slides. I just wanted to see, like, how far do you project you can go? Like, how big a system can we get to under these noise, this current noise model? Um, this noise model here. Yeah. Um, 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 I think the biggest we tested was maybe three by three. The problem is, like, um, as you run bigger and bigger grid sizes, it takes ages to run. So, um, for example, three by four, um, even with exact um, with ex exact measurements, takes like several days to run on a GPU. Um, so we can't really test. Um, how well it, um, we can't really go as far as like testing um, the noise on the bigger grid sizes. Um, I would say like uh, having seen like results of, um, from like Ashley and Stage's paper, like it's, I think we, we're definitely improving the noise model um, is quite important because I don't think this accurately um, represents what the quantum computer is actually doing. Like I said, there's a lot more errors like readout error. Um, and a lot more complicated stuff we're not really um, kind of um, accounting for in this like simple depolarizing noise model. Okay, uh, thanks for that. Um, do we have any further questions? Yeah, so at, uh, you were talking about an error rate of 10 to the minus three that it basically had no effect on fidelity. That's the two by three grid? Uh, yes. So that's um, 12 qubits? Oh, uh, correct. At what circuit depth per iteration? Um, so we did a circuit depth. Um, circuit depth. Um, it goes back to this uh, two. It's we're we're testing fully connected architectures, so yeah. it would be this. Um, so I think um, circuit depth of five. So this is basically maybe a total circuit depth of 15 here. 12 qubits over depth 15. Um, yes, yep. So at that error rate, I mean, you've got an error rate of one in a thousand and you've got 12 qubits over 15 uh, time steps. I mean, you wouldn't expect any errors to occur really at that error rate. Right. Um, so is that why you're seeing that the fidelity is not affected because you're effectively doing clean runs all the time. I mean, probably like with with these um, these um, even lower noise rates, we really don't see any difference. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's hard, like I said, to test like bigger circuit sizes. So yeah, so this could you, just be. When you actually run them, do you do you have a flag in there in your code that sort of says, 
okay, in this particular instance, we, we, you know, an error was actually applied to distinguish, like, because if you're going to do an error analysis of it, you, you, I would imagine you'd want to see exactly how this thing behaves when you do get errors, because you already know how it behaves when you don't have any errors at all, right? Um, I don't think we, uh, we logged, like, what errors had occurred. It was more just, um, like, after every gate, just applying this, like, um, uh, yeah, this uh, noise model. Right. Um, because, yeah, sometimes, yeah, you're right, you'd, you'd apply the identity and there'd be no error. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that would be really interesting, actually, to see, um, like, logging what errors occur and how it kind of spreads out and things like that. Yeah, it's just, I mean, from my point of view, it's just, you know, is it the fidelity is not being affected because the circuit is, you know, quite robust to errors? Or is it not being affected because you're statistically just not getting any errors? Hmm. Yeah, maybe it's like, um, yeah, all the, the errors occurring kind of within the, like, the scope of like these SPSA and consent algorithms kind of catch, like they catch the statistical errors. It's not like big enough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thanks. And your error model, it's um it's just uh depolarizing Pauli channels, isn't it? Applied stochastically, it's not coherent errors at all. Yeah, exactly. It's just um yeah, depolarizing. So in that case, you don't get small errors that would cause effects. You just get errors that are large some of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like phase flips, flips. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I guess, why this like error detection procedure can kind of catch like some of these errors, because um, they're just yeah big and obvious maybe. <laughs> Okay, um, do we have any further questions? Um, if not, so let's all thank the speaker again, which is kind of weird again in the virtual world. So clap, 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 clap. Um, thanks so much, Lana, for taking your time this morning or this evening, depending on what part of the world you're in, to give us this really excellent presentation on some really interesting work. Um, it's been, yeah, really great. So, okay, um, thanks everyone.